0: well hello uh everybody this is uh background worlds and we are back with some more background worlds uh this is patrick and i am here as ever with vince and uh dave used to be a radio dj so why don't you take it away do your introduction we got our friend dave on here
1: well hey pat thanks so much i really appreciate the the opportunity to come and hang and i will try to keep the ron radio voice to a minimum i promise
0: <laughs> so, we asked uh, Dave to come on today because, uh, you know, Vince and I had spoken a little bit in the past about um, some of the ramifications of deplatforming in the wake of the January 6th attack on the Capitol and kind of the pluses and minuses of that. And uh, Dave it, has thought long and hard about this, and he's got um, both of his thumbs deep in the asshole of the online right. Uh, so we figured he would be a good person to come on here and kind of give some perspective on that talk about uh, what just what is telegram and why you should be afraid of it um, and uh, uh, other such like so um, Dave uh, deplatforming good or bad
1: yeah that man uh, I gotta say like I, I as someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about this and Trying to answer that question, I I will just say up front that I don't don't know the answer to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, deplatforming, just like, you know, stripping violent extremists of citizenship, just like uh, all forms of censorship, Um, you know, there are arguments for and against censorship, right? Uh, Demonstrably, access to content has ramifications. Which is like the, the you know a really stupid high level thing to say, but it's incredibly important that we all either agree that that is true or disagree, and then we have a conversation about what propaganda is and and how narratives are formed. Um, yeah. So. And I, what, I, if, go ahead. Go ahead. I just you know if I have. 30 seconds with people, and I have just made it my life's mission to always say, if I can tell you one thing I have learned in 16 years of advertising experience, it's that propaganda works. And it doesn't just work on your racist uncle. It doesn't just work on that weird kid down the street. Uh, We're, you know, many people who would have assumed themselves like these silos of of intellectual purity are figuring out oh no wait mom's a QAnon conspiracist right um and having to grapple with the idea that oh well, well wait the, the people that i love the people whose experiences and, and whose hands formed me right made me into who i am those people are are susceptible to content manipulation and you know, beyond all that, again, beyond your racist uncle, I'm susceptible to propaganda. You are susceptible to propaganda. Your narrative is scaffolded extremely directly by the media that you consume. And so, when we consume racist content, um, even in the uh, in the most passive, you know, leave it to Beaver way. Right when you consume nothing but a narrative that uh, that suggests that, uh, you know, that the world is white, that the world is masculine, that the world is Christian, or increasingly, that white Christian men are being attacked, are now the underdog, that has an effect on you. And I, I say that as someone who consumes an incredible quantity of this content because of my uh, chosen, uh, hobby, semi-profession, <laughs> um, that actually, you know, that, that, uh, leads me to
0: ask, I, I didn't want to throw it out there, but, uh, cause maybe you want to keep their, their names out of your, your mouth here, but, uh, do you want to do, like, hey, why should anybody give a shit what you have to say about this?
1: Oh, sh- sure, I'm sorry, yes, I am just some asshole, and, and I'll, I'll say up front, like, I'm, uh, I'm not pretending, to be a particularly intelligent person. I'm in no way as well read as my my dearly beloved Mr. Condon here, but I'm a guy who really cares about art and about the act of communication and about how persuasion works. Um, so, you know, just to throw bona fides out there, right? I have a degree in journalism. I got my start in radio, I became an agency copywriter, which is basically a a low-level professional liar, um, writing radio ads and whatnot. Uh, From there, I got into tech startup and, and, and sort of became a bit of a digital marketing guy. And digital marketing, specifically audience targeting, using behavioral metrics to identify groups of people who are likely to purchase. Um, has kind of become my professional bailiwick. Um, I serve as the media, uh, the marketing director for a small private business and leadership institute up here in New England uh, by day. And that gave me the opportunity to earn my master of science in counterterrorism, uh, which I took purely as an opportunity to further study propaganda. Um, I'm really interested in indoctrination funnels and how a process of changing someone's ideology. Is literally identical to the traditional uh, business-to-consumer sales funnel that businesses and advertisers have been openly using to change hearts and minds about whether or not Pepsi is better than Coke for you know uh, you know a hundred years since, since the advent of modern, real, true broadcasting. Um, and so, I serve... in. in I, I was able to do that. I now get to teach. I teach propaganda and professional writing at the college level. Um, and I serve as the media director for a counterterrorism think tank that focuses on the counter-narrative space, on how conspiracy theories spread, on how indoctrination happens, and where the best place to disrupt it is, which is, um, I, I think is important to say, is a really sort of controversial thing, right? We feel experientially as people, we often feel like the world, the media world that we are living in is extremely well established, right? Is set in stone. And that's because we as mammals have really bad, short memories. We are only 13 years out from the smartphone.
0: I know that's so fucked. I occasionally remember that. I remember when they first showed up and uh, my uh, brain dribbles out my ears.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, it's I remember, really important. Sorry, go ahead, brother. Um, yeah, I remember a time. It's bizarre because I do understand how young I am, but I also have lived enough to remember a time where the internet was still um, living its last years of the cyberpunk um, dream of mm-hmm. a decentralized access to the internet. It's kind of bizarre because now ninety-five percent of our internet traffic is reduced to conglomerate ownership. So you've got like Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter so big corps but i do remember the time where you used to have forums and blogs and it was a lot more decentralized and a lot more rhizomatic of a, of an experience of the internet you you felt like you were you could just find different places and not one place that was like the channel for information um it's kind of bizarre you know um it wasn't a long so long ago i think that that the big turn was around 10 years ago actually
0: yeah i think it i think you can really well, I think it becomes really obvious what you're talking about, Vince, that trend, probably with the rise of, of Facebook. Uh, but before that, there were indicators, right, with like things like MySpace. And I'm not solely talking about social media, but I'm talking about a return to that kind of walled garden model of the internet that, at least in the United States, the representatives of that were uh, companies like um, uh, CompuServe and America Online. Um, but even before that, right, like I know, Dave, you did a lot of work with, um, with Google like AdSense and uh, with um, search optimization and even just the fact that we're filtering everything through the lens of what Google wants to sell to its advertisers, uh, you know, how it wants to, to monetize our, our attention. Um, That itself is, is kind of like one overall uh, filter bubble over the whole internet at this point.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that that exact point is, is is really necessary again for uh, people who want to think critically about this space and about the way we consume media, it's really important to remember that, that that's absolutely true, that, that Google is not benevolent. Google is not serving you uh, information. You know, the first search result is the result that it thinks you are most likely to click and find satisfying. It's not necessarily the right answer,
2: mm-hmm. right? And Did You so- guys use DuckDuckGo. I've started using DuckDuckGo like a few months ago, and the difference is staggering. Like you can tell the difference when you look something up that you just know that Google wouldn't be putting up the results that you would. You kind of have to search a bit, like scroll a bit to find exactly what you want, but the difference in content is massive in terms of filtering.
1: What's interesting to me about that, Vincent, is that that's even true on Google. And we we all kind of know it, but we all don't don't talk about it as if it's an insidious thing. We all sort of know that the first results on Google, eh, it's probably trying to tell you something. It's a heavily manipulated piece of content that was, you know, literally somebody got paid to say, oh, hey, I see 100 people asked this question on Google in the last two weeks. Somebody make me a piece of content that will directly answer this question so that our page selling whatever uh, gets up at the top. The page itself might not even be selling anything, right? It might just be an ad space. Well, that ad space is generating revenue. It's, it's just really important, I think, for us as consumers to be hyper aware of, of the experience that's being curated for us by a for-profit algorithm. Um, and, and I think to your your point about those those CompuServe and, and AOL and those those walls, those silos that we think about as being relics of of, of a 90s and early aughts era internet, right? well, Facebook is spending huge quantities of money overseas in, in nations that do not have access to the internet, and are making Facebook the one stop shop for yeah. internet prov- you know providing right. You can there are are whole countries of people where what they think of as the internet is the Facebook ecosystem of uh, content serving. It's not Google, it's not, you don't have a choice about where you go to find that stuff. Because Facebook paid for the Wi-Fi towers, um, and so they have a virtual monopoly on what content gets served there. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's, you know,
0: yeah, the internet brought to you by Facebook. Uh, or just, it's Facebook, it's not even the internet anymore. And it is sort of a, it's interesting, Vince, that you brought up that kind of like cyberpunk, like utopian vision vision that we all had back then. I mean, I was just as into that idea as anybody, you know, this like, or the cypherpunk, right? Uh, You know, the idea that like, if we could just have private encrypted communication, uh, then we could, you know, get out from under the thumb of Big Brother. Um, But I think... You know, that was really, obviously, that was really naive. And what it didn't recognize was just how easy it is to, like, hack us at a brainstem level. And when the profit motivation is there, uh, there's nothing stopping the, you know, greatest minds that um, tech universities can produce from figuring out how to just hijack your brain. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. I'm very interested um, on your takes on what resistance can manifest in that sense because when we look at the capital there has been a very resolute response from the right from trumpism as to what they believe to be what and as corporate power and the response has been parlor which was i mean you get what you deserve (laughs) but um it still shows a discontent and i'm not gonna like um, create a parallel with that without discontent, like the establishment, but it shows discontent with the way that media is presented to us, sponsorship and corporate um, verticalization of the channels of information. But from a leftist perspective, it seems to be like, I do have a Mastodon, but it's so fringe, you know? It's so, so fringe. And of course, the, the game is rigged against us because if we go underground, we're not engaging with the masses. But I'm very interested in, on whether you guys have any takes on where can resistance sprout from in an age of verticalization of access to information in the internet, the post-Cypherpunk. Cypherpunk has gone wrong, so what's left for us? Yeah, I, I actually just wanna break in
0: uh, to say that, um, both for Vince and for anybody listening, this is uh, sort of a lefty, you know, anarchist tinge podcast, but Dave is far too cynical to have any political convictions, uh, so he's just going to come at this. Hit Dave is his own animal, but go. I want to hear what you have to say about that, Dave. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, so uh, a couple things. So I think that um, social networks, right, uh, centralized community spaces with centralized narratives, like. And, and again, the the speed of the cycle is fascinating to me because they all now sort of throw parlor around as if it were the end all, be all, and as if it had been this highly organized space for ages. Um, I've been hopping around private, cons- you know, not private, small conservative social networks for three years now. They they all people sprout them up. Because there's a clear customer demand for them, but they're really difficult. Community building is incredibly difficult. Um, it's easy to get a few hundred people into a space. Really difficult to get a few thousand or a few hundred thousand, and then to get them to all do one thing, which is the like right, that's the struggle that the left will have right now. Is it doesn't have. Um, an organically arising space where their community needs are met and they feel protected. And That was also true for the American right for a long time. They danced around from app to app. It was only, I think, when the anger, bought, uh, when the narrative that you are being persecuted and that you must rise up, uh, and whether rising up means just action or violent action, that's when they found Parlor. Parlor was there for that community. Um, and what has been fascinating about the deplatforming is to see the this rampant scramble away from it, right? The oh my god, we had a house, right? I mean it was it's a house party when you were a teenager, right? We had a space, we had a thing, we had a place to call our own. It got burned down. Now where the hell do I go to get drunk on Friday? Um, and so, you know, the last 48 hours of parlor were nothing but explaining to the rats where to gather after they scattered. Um, and f- from my perspective, and I don't know how much time you guys were spent on telegram afterwards. Like my telegram feed right now, um, feels like an infomercial. It feels like a lot of people trying desperately to recapture the magic was the pure action oriented anger of parlor at the end of 2020 uh they're they're trying to build a community sorry brother go no
2: no, it's just i'm on a few channels that that i did not keep up with polo i think that as you said the speed of the cycle was too fast for me to keep up with i i couldn't be bothered to create a follow account but um i am on a few telegram channels and it is bizarre. There's just, there seems like there's no coherence anymore, especially because Biden took over, so people are constantly, like, at odds with each other. Well, what, what's the next game plan?
1: Yeah, uh, well, it's funny. They're, they, I agree, they're at odds with each other about what the action is. Uh, they're still real unified about the fact that it's all the Jews' fault and that the black men want to rape your white daughters.
0: Well, there it is, folks. I mean, it's
1: your hot, hot take.
0: But but no, you're not wrong. I mean, so many people have pointed this out, and it's obvious if you look into it at all. Something like QAnon is just Nazism, right? Like you just you, you they've scraped the serial numbers off. It's the blood libel. You know what I mean? It is just repurposed old school anti-Semitism, and that's of course why it's been parasitized by all of the the real ideologically driven hard right groups, right? Like there's no. It's not a coincidence. That they saw in Trump and in Trumpism, Trumpist the Trumpist legions, right? That they saw a fertile recruiting ground. It's because it, it's it's a sort of a natural appeal to these folks. Um, and like, I think one of the fascinating things, because I think about this, I teach it. I you know, not at the college level, but I teach a class on like media and how to how to sort of avoid having your brain melted by the internet. And, and as a result, like one of the things that I'm fascinated by is just how much the Internet and especially in the time of social media um, has uh, supercharged conspiracy theories. And, you know, one of the things like teenagers are fascinated by conspiracy theories. They all want to know if the moon landing's fake. They all want to know you name it. Right. Is, is Obama a lizard? And of course, I tell them, yes, he, he is a lizard. But that's the only one that's really true. But um, anyway, uh, I, I, the way I try to like put this to them and I, I'd love to hear you guys take on this is that, you know, the reason we need to be cautious of indulging in this desire for conspiracy theories is because the last time one gained power uh, at, over a state, we got Nazi Germany. I mean, the Nazism it was just a conspiracy theory that happened again, uh, to get a, a Wehrmacht that it could order around.
2: Can I put a weird twist into this?
1: Please. please. It's just, Lizard people uh, are real. I,
2: yeah. Um, um, <laughs> I, I feel like, I hope that they've, uh, I'm not sure how much of this you see in proportion to, of course, like the big focus on, is on QAnon, but me occupying a lot of leftist spaces online, um, there's something that I see that is very uh, concerning from my view, at least, because I do think that even though it, it, it's not as big as Trumpism, it can have very real consequences, is red-brownism. And mm. it's becoming a discussion amongst leftist faces, because now the guy in power is the establishment guy, right? It's the guy who was left to Trump. So what, what, what where does that put leftists? And some of them believe that there should be a coalition with those who hate the Democratic Party, regardless of where they stand politically. And I feel like that is something that is very akin to uh, a guy named Alexander Dugan. Uh, do you guys yeah. know? Who he is? Yeah, so Dugan, um, for the listeners who are not aware, Dugan is basically this guy who used to be a consultant, a polit- geopolitical consultant for Putin, and he is also a writer, philosopher, and uh, political scientist. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of it, otherwise, because that warrants an episode of the tone. But basically, he hates liberalism. US equals liberalism. Everything against the US is anti-imperialist. And there's not much thought on what that entails uh, for those who follow Dugan, which ends up being this weird crossover of um, anti semitic conspiracies um, cuddled with like uh, under the covers of anti-zionism giant quotes here because i don't believe in that in anti-semitism being the same thing as anti-zionism um but sort of like this anti-semitism which kind of feels hitler-esque and it's kind of like giving hitler a break because hitler would not be the same that far from stalin and sort of like this nazbol fever dream thing, Mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like that's a bit propagandist in a way, in the way that Dave says it, because when Dave says, like, you are vulnerable to propaganda, it means that the left is also vulnerable to propaganda, and I think that Duganism is, like, the biggest example of that, Nazbol's, people who, Red Brown's, people who think that it's just, you can coalesce with fascists to overthrow liberals, it just feels very propagandish and sort of treating everything at an aesthetic level which is where propaganda can operate but it always trickles down into these deep prejudices that people carry when they're subject to propaganda i'm not sure if that's making sense i hope it is
1: absolutely and i mean that i think that's sort of exactly what you're saying is is fundamental to understanding how and why propaganda works um, right, Subversive content that challenges literally every belief you've ever held is ineffective at cha- at persuading people of anything. All effective propaganda starts from a position of understanding its audience's bias. It has to understand where its audience is sitting now and validate that. Like, validate your pain, validate your discomfort. Validate your lack of empowerment. Validate your lack of economic opportunity, um, in order to then start to gradually push you into a space where you can believe again. Like, so, so, I use in my college classes. I use the lizard people example in the same way. Right, because it's, it's because it's so ridiculous. Right, it's so ridiculous, and yet, like, let's be clear: there are adults out there are serious about that belief yeah. um, and they're not, I would kind of challenge you, to, you know, challenge anyone who says, well, those people are just fucking stupid. They're not fucking stupid. They're human beings who have a real mm-hmm. honest emotional life and who have a real need for love and validation. And if the community around them isn't providing that or they can't find it, they will seek out a community that does, uh, even if that community is weird and uncomfortable, right? We look at, again, the other things that we laugh at, right? The flat earth movement is, again, fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm filled with a lot of, again, college education is not a threshold for intelligence, but of you know, people who should have been taught critical thinking skills. And when you start to dive into the flat earth content my reading of it and this is purely totally based in my bias as a content consumer and i cannot have consumed everything mm-hmm. what i see when i consume those videos is it's a lot of content that plays very directly to youtube's algorithm which has a heavy focus on long inflammatory content because inflammatory content with some girth to it, right, with an hour of content, is more likely to be consumed into that 45-50 minute mark. They want to keep your eyes on sight. Content itself is almost always really just an expression of personal anger. right? It's not, let me demonstrate to you scientifically that the earth is flat because I want to persuade you of this truth. So often, it's infighting, right? It's, it's white, men who are really upset, really angry, um, really missing something in their life, Uh, yelling at other white men who are making video content. Uh, It's basically all just attack videos explaining how that asshole over there doesn't understand how the world works. but, and they don't come together personally but they do come together as a movement as a content thing as a consumer base yeah um that allows for more content to be produced right more propaganda to be produced more young people to be indoctrinated i think you um, can. S- i think that
0: go ahead go ahead, finish
1: up i think we see the same thing in in the in the far right absolutely and i think you're going to see it increasingly on the far left um where you know if it You know, Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan have extremely different politics, right? They do not believe the government should operate in the same way. they will absolutely ally because they both believe that extreme acts of violence are necessary to spark the race war that will usher in the next generation of white utopia. Um, So they can both make content about that, make content that expresses their anger and that validates the anger of young people who are out there looking for answers, as we all were, right? I mean, I draw heavily on my own experiences as a 17-year-old white kid growing up in New Hampshire when I approached this topic because I was just another angry guy who was looking for answers. And I'm really grateful that the answers I happened to find uh, weren't Nazi-esque because I don't believe for a second that I wouldn't have been a convert. Like I just, I, I don't I think we need to be more open about our own personal vulnerabilities um, and understand that again, both on the left and the right, propaganda works. Someone's gonna tell you that violence is the best way out Someone's gonna tell you that the enemy is amorphous and evil and inhuman. Someone's gonna tell you that you're persecuted. Someone's gonna tell you that you and they and us together are the gatekeepers of freedom. This isn't propaganda, that is. Someone else is out there to brainwash your children and they are the enemy and they must die with their heads on pipes. It's bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> you know really effective bullshit
0: well it is and and it's uh you know it, it, one thing that sprung to mind when you're talking here is uh um the kind of rise of, uh, and maybe they've died off a little bit i have i think that like the kind of wave of radicalization has swept over and passed youtube but uh when they were all the sort of like <clears throat> cringe compilations you know what i mean and it was basically just nothing but videos of uh, like, you know, blue haired women or uh, people of color that were angry about something. And somebody would yell over that for an hour. But I I, I actually really want to acknowledge Dave, like, uh, as much as it's uncomfortable, you know, as much as I feel very seen, um, you're 100% right that, you know, sometimes this, this kind of, um, well, these techniques, as you point out, they're, they're effective, they're long established, uh, and they are, how indoctrination works so you certainly can see these things happen on the left as well you know of course uh i, I would make the argument that we're correct about who the enemy is um but uh you know but uh, but to that point like you're you're a hundred percent um on in that there is a tendency both right and left once you get to that point where you're within completely within the echo chamber you're you're surrounded by it Uh, there is definitely a tendency, that's when the guillotine jokes start, right? That's when somebody has been radicalized to the point where they're very comfortable with the idea of doing violence to the other. Um, And, uh, you know, it it makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, Luckily, I've been able in my sort of like left life, left organizing, I've been able to avoid mostly those spaces, but it makes me really uncomfortable to hear people go down those, those, uh, um, uh, kind of those, those, those hallways, because, you know, I recognize like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a revolutionary, uh, that's a whole other conversation. I think that, uh, um, well, whatever, I'm not going to even start that, but I recognize that there, there is a place for self-defense, right? There's, there's a place I do not uh, categorically object to or reject violence. But the glorification of violence as the fulfillment of like this almost sexual urge to um to gain some kind of feeling of power over a world that so often makes us feel powerless that's really dangerous whether it's coming from the left or right right because that's how you end up that with that go ahead
1: sexualized language i think is and uh, again not to get into bias but like pat knows that my bias is uh, we're mammals, and literally everything we do comes back to sex. I really believe that, especially as Americans, and I would love to know more in order to see if this holds true elsewhere, but we really fetishize action. And, and again, action can yeah, mean no, a ton of different things.
0: What was that uh, one? Really <laughs> well, one more time, we keep talking over you.
2: No no no, that's it. Um that that really is you guys. Um, oh. when I speak at <laughs> least <laughs> Um it's because like I'm not gonna say that um Brazilians or people elsewhere in the world there's of course conflict everywhere. As we speak, there is massive outrage in like Russia for instance. In Russians yeah. are known to be absolutely batshit no matter where they land on the political spec spectrum. Um, you know, we definitely have seen um France of like um, thought that has been jihadism for one uh, glorifies violence in the name of religion then again Europe has done crusades so it's it's splattered all over human history but the u.s brings it to a level of commodification mm-hmm. and of um, super selling it that crosses over through that through the, the through proper propaganda to levels that of sexual engagement of violence that are like unbeknownst to me like i i I, listen i enjoy shooting stuff i would i would own a gun if i felt like i could or if it was legal um uh but i it's it's something wild to see it how the us treats it it's like fucking bizarre i'm not gonna lie
1: i think it's again i think putting it into a propaganda space right we are, and I'll say, I, I, I use terms like indoctrinated, and, and I really do want us to strip some of the negative emotional connotation from those words. Like, we're all indoctrinated. Yeah, by definition, that by being term, a member of a society. Of be okay. yeah. Right, right. So we as Americans, we are very specifically indoctrinated into a cult of violent extremist action from our earliest days like it it sort of grosses me out anytime anyone says eight has no home here or Mm -hmm. like violence isn't the answer fuck you 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 never yeah you 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 never paid attention in the history
0: class yeah uh, that's that's uh, exactly what i've been thinking through this whole thing is that like of, uh, you know, all all students learn in American history every year is, oh, the, the Revolutionary War, the Revolutionary War, the Revolutionary War. Uh, they were heroes, they were patriots, etc. And then we all make the surprise Pikachu face when, the, when people go and, you know, role play the Founding Fathers. Of course, we've taught them that that's the model for being a political hero.
1: Absolutely. Right. You gave us something to aspire to, and that is something that all good propaganda does, right? It gives you meaning it gives you a goal it tells you that if you engage in x action better things are coming there is a utopia on just the other that this just the other side of that river of blood something better you gotta wait that river of blood first um hmm. I'm sorry i lost my train of thought
2: you know, yeah that's that's all right um yeah i've Uh, i i definitely see that um coming across in um us culture Uh, patrick well knows uh from an episode that i have yet to finish editing and releasing (laughs) um that brazil is kind of founded on a very different um set of feelings if i were to like i'm not gonna try and theorize and be a historian here i'm not gonna try and like assert myself with the with the confidence of someone who knows what Brazil is made of, because it's such a massive country, but um, there is sort of like this historically um, predominant feeling of being the underdog that I think that permeates a lot of the Brazilian psyche, and that is diametrically opposite of what I see from U.S. folks who um seem to speak in a way where it's so it's like it's so easy to get your way you just have to be willing to pull a trigger and from a Brazilian perspective we sort of like have this uh, this underlying mentality that we will never give get our way so we just have to compromise politically again and again and again and again and even culturally again and again we just have to take up what is given to us and make the most out of it, which makes sort of like political empowerment a very difficult question. Um, The question of revolution is difficult. The question of reform is difficult. Recent history in Brazil has proved that. But we cannot have that mentality of you can be a hero, just, you know, be willing to shed some blood. That's something that is very US-like and very opposite to what Brazil has ever learned so well brazil also has
0: the the cautionary memory not that long ago of what it really is to live in a society that's governed by organized political violence right i mean you've oh 100 yeah, yeah you've lived through that military dictatorship and with the exception of like complete you know troglodytes like bolsonaro most people aren't excited to go back to rule by the sword
2: yeah and curiously enough the military dictatorship was the was the trigger that the u.s had to pull in order to get what they wanted so um you know history fulfills itself Mm. pretty self-fulfilling
1: in that sense well parallels there uh vincent on on a brazilian ethos of being the underdog i think the american narrative is rooted in the same idea it's just we've done something much darker with the dream of what can be done about it, right? A hundred percent of our media teaches us that you may be an underdog. But a little bit of violence will get you out of it. And that, that you, you know, there may be insurmountable odds. You may be a 90-pound broken-backed weakling, but you can still play football if you just believe enough. If you just believe hard enough your bullet will find the right forehead uh and the nation will be cleansed of whatever liberal ideology or conservative ideology um you know we're taught that you can somehow rise above your space in life um because underdogs win and because you're an underdog and because we we fetish people, fetishize people with a little bit going against them. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but yeah, Dave, I, I, I was cur- I'm curious to hear your take on this because you know we're talking a lot about what could be termed like the cult of action for action's sake, and uh, you know, people like Umberto Eco have included that as one of the de- definitional um, aspects of, of fascism. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously, we're here to we're here talking about this rise of uh, of an extremist right that we're, we're sort of all witnessing and wondering how far it's going to go. I think, um, speaking as somebody who's you know, done a fair amount of reading uh, and uh, studying of the, the rise of fascism in Europe, I think that there are a lot of elements in American society that uh, would fit very comfortably into that kind of a political structure. You know, this, this sort of worship of action and masculinity, not, not the least among them, so, I guess prediction time, Dave, uh, you know, um, are is Joe Biden going to be uh, dragged from the White House and burned at the stake? Uh, are we heading towards a day of the rope? Like how far, based on your reading of this, how far do you think it goes? Or does it fall apart if there's no like cult of personality figure like Trump, who I have no idea why he appeals to people, but clearly he appeals to millions of people with him... Is he more dangerous now that he's not constrained by the office of the president? Is he less dangerous? What do you think is going? Where, where, where are we going yeah, with this?
1: That's a really good question, Pat. And I mean, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't really, I wouldn't trust any of my predictions. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say charismatic leadership is, uh, is absolutely necessary for the organization of any violent extremist community. Um, Without a centralized figure, centralizing a narrative, repeating it, being there, kissing babies, making you feel like you have something to work for and toward, Mm -hmm. uh, movements fall apart. They devolve into infighting. They, you know, they devolve into just a, a raw inability to agree on goals where the American fascist movement has had the God that is Trump coalesce around in the last four years, and before that uh, we, we saw that the opposite works a little bit as well, whereas if you just have an enemy you hate enough uh, that can stand in a little bit, uh, right, we really hated having a black man as a president um, and that is where, that's what got this ball rolling yeah. uh-huh. um, and then so Trump, Trump walked in Trump as a demagogue, right as a TV show host, right as someone, I'll say like I relate to a lot personally why because i'm fucking charismatic and people (laughs) as a charismatic guy you learn you can get people to do what you want um and he learned that lesson a long time ago and and just ran with it you know he walked into a community that was primed that was hungry that was angry that didn't feel like they were being listened to that felt like a Democratic candidate, Hillary Clinton, was being railroaded down their throats, which, in fucking fairness, was true. Yeah. And that's, you know, so it really was a perfect storm for a demagogue. Um, I'll say that now that we have, uh, you know, Mr. Milktoast himself in office, I think that it will be interesting, more interesting to watch what happens to the left than the right, uh, because the left's got nothing to coalesce around now. There's no enemy, right? What we saw in this past election was a question of which gets more human beings out, hatred of a man or love of a man. And in reality, we find out, well, they're within a few million assholes of each other. <laughs> um, but now now we got nothing, right? Trump's going to go, if, if he's, I have a personal belief that he's going to die of natural causes the next year yeah. because that man ain't healthy. No. Which will be good for America because it prevents him from, continuing to from building a media empire, which is gonna be what his next move is. Yeah, His next move is to try to, to take it to the airwaves um, and to go be Alex Jones.
0: Yeah, yeah, say what you will about Trump, he clearly understands the power of the microphone.
1: Oh, 100%, um, and, and you know, maybe not even intellectually, just because it's always been there for him, right? Mm-hmm. He knows how to manipulate that medium, and again, we have to recognize that we are all susceptible if he understands the medium, he understands you, and right? he understands your needs. And listen to him speak, right? So when, uh, in 2016, when this was, was kind of, this ball was rolling, um, some Russian friends and I, I developed an app called Trump-Clinton Debate Bingo, which was just a silly bingo game on your cell phone. Um, but in order to, to write all the words out, I had to sit there and read through his stump speeches which is not something I recommend, um, but got but, me really- By the way, Dave, before you go too
0: much article. further here, before you go too much further, I think you just uh, admitted on a recording that you were part of the uh, the FSB organization that uh, subverted Trump as an asset. So well done to you there.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, the FSB did an amazing job going. in 2016, man. I that, I mean, that is a whole nother thing. The... The, the entire, the coordination and cojones required to pull off what Russia pulled off in 2016 to this day astounds me and, and I find kind of beautiful in in a, a very uncomfortable way.
0: So actually before you go on, I want to hear hear you finish that thought, but I want to put a bookmark on this because there is definitely like a lot of sentiment on the the left in the United States that the Russia gate thing was uh, sort of overblown for political purposes. And I'd love to get in into this with you and and hear your take on how much there was there. But go ahead and finish what you were saying about Trump first. If you remember.
1: oh, I don't know. yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, no. so instead I'll say, uh, yes, tr- uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to watch Trump attempt to build something now. But just as we see with with telegram, and parlor, I, it's probably gonna be a fair amount of flailing at first, um, and it will never quite have the same shine than it did when it was organic. Um, because when, when people really hated Obama and really felt like they needed a demagogue, um, you know, it was new, it was fresh, people were people were literally willing to consider going to die, right? Everyone who drove up on January 6th, at some point, even your mom Mm -hmm. entertained the fantasy oh there could be blood today um and that's not to say that most of them went there with with the explicit intention to enact what ended up happening but trust me that fantasy was part of it for a hundred percent of them right
0: and then all these things exist on a spectrum right and any kind of I mean, any kind of extremist movement needs to have people that are all along that spectrum. You need to have the people that are willing to strap on a suicide vest or open fire, but you also need the people who are willing to supply those suicide vests and and firearms. And you need the people that are just sort of passively supporters, right? You, this, is a, this isn't just a, a matter of, you know, terror cells or something. If you want to get a good old guerrilla war going, what you actually need m- many more of are sort of sympathetic people who are on the sidelines. It gives you a... a go ahead, Vince. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it gives you sort of a, 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 um, a base to draw from. It gives you... Uh, well, it gives you replacements for your, your dead martyrs.
1: I think you can actually you can take it a step farther out from that too pat um you need uh an even bigger number of just humans who are expressing interest because that number that raw total that raw crowd size gives you authority yeah. right it says well look at all these people and even though the to your point the vast majority of those people sit way out on the low ends of the bell curve of extremism. The fact that they're there is important, right? There's a reason that if you are opening up a new small Etsy shop and you are having a hard time playing the algorithm to get your, I don't know, stupid fucking knit Cthulhu sold. You can go spend a hundred bucks and get, I don't know, a thousand likes from all over the world. Say which will then show up in your metrics, right? It plays the algorithm. That's search engine optimization. That's how content gets served. Hmm. As you play the game, you play the algorithm, you make sure that you have just enough kernels of, of low-level truth about uh, about empowerment and economic opportunity in America that you do get the grandma who's never picked up a firearm in her life. Because you need her in the crowd to give the uh, that air of authority that convinces the other mid-tier people. Again, the violent, the real identity violent extremists, they're gonna do it anyway. To get the guy who has a shitty job and is really pretty angry, but is not sure if it's better to spend tonight watching a friend's rerun with his girlfriend or go learn how to build a pipe bomb, you want that guy to go build a pipe bomb and grandma's number matters in that conversation, as dumb as that sounds.
0: You know, uh, this actually reminds me of something that Vince and I talked about when it was sort of in the aftermath of January 6th, but before the inauguration, you know, we were talking about the the, the likelihood of further violence. And and one thing that I, I had said at that time was basically, I didn't think anything was going to happen on the day of the inauguration because all of the people who were just there to be there and to, who gave cover for the people who cam, came planning and willing to do violence, that cover was going to be stripped away. And so anybody who showed up was going to have a big old target on their forehead as like, these are the core, these are the dangerous people. And the people who have reached that level uh, are savvy enough not to, not to expose themselves that way.
1: And I think many of them chose not to expose themselves. I think that it's interesting. You know, we like to point to the 50 or so people who did break in, and we like to look at the photographs of the couple guys with zip ties. I think it's really telling that it wasn't 100 guys with zip ties. Mm. Um, And, you know, again, in thinking about the way we consume content and engage in communities so right when I so I, I released my thoughts on this on YouTube right after it happened and in order to do that right in order to put a monologue together about the nature of censorship I needed to go and get as much footage from the January 6th insurrection as I possibly could um, and so I've watched a lot of the organic content that was being uploaded by participants on that day um, and it was funny to me how it really comes off as like this juvenile takedown of cell phone culture <laughs> there are very few shots taken on cell phones that don't have other people taking shots on cell phones There was a lot of like just like identity need floating around that day mm-hmm. uh where people were viewing what they were doing through the lens of the camera, through the medium of social media. Right. They were thinking about the clout
0: they were going to get by posting this. They weren't thinking about what they were actually doing. They were sort of living
1: online rather than living in that moment.
2: I think that's right. That's purely bored. The the map becomes a territory. Right. Um, It's like from a... From an OPSEC point of view, it's like incredibly dumb. Think about the guy who like broke into Nancy Pelosi's office and like took a fucking picture, stole some of her mail, took a picture with it outside of the Capitol. You know, anyone who knows anything about OPSEC, I mean, if you're gonna storm a building, there's like, it's it's a 50 item list of don't do this (laughs) that was done by that guy. But hey, the map is the territory. At least he got a picture up in parlor and um, became a bit of a celebrity, innit? Yeah, he's attained the only kind of
0: immortality that we can hope for anymore, right? Like, he's going to go down in history and, more importantly, meme history uh, as, you know, the guy who put his feet up on Pelosi's desk. Uh, And that's to say nothing of the QAnon shaman. I mean, you cannot dress like that without it being without you being very aware on some po- some level of the fact that you're doing this for the views, you're doing this because it's outlandish, right? And it gets you that attention that apparently, you know, mama never gave you or whatever, uh, however you want to psychoanalyze it, right? So,
1: you know, I might caution that a little bit. Yeah. O- only in that I- I'm not sure that is how he thinks about it. And, and understand that I'm, of speaking out of turn here i'm not a i don't study the mind i just sort of study propaganda and identity causes i I, th- I think that that validation in the moment that the joy of exposure is not necessarily the same thing as actively thinking that you're doing it for the ground i'm not sure that if that separation makes any sense um
0: I get what you're saying. I think maybe he's too extreme a case for us to really dig into there because I, I think if you're dressing up like a, like a uh, uh, minotaur, you, you, you're aware of how that looks to outsiders. Like that's a very conscious choice. But I, I will say, I think you're probably right for a lot of the more sort of uh, mainstream passing people that were involved and then got there and thought, oh, this is cool. You know, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take video of it just like I would that time that I went to you know Paris and stood in front of the Eiffel Tower, right? Like it's just the the spectacle and the experience of it for them. But I think that there's clearly other people for whom uh, their presence or their image was very carefully planned, right? Um, and you see this again in like the sort of aestheticization or spectacle of politics, where like. Again, to go back to sort of the hard right, uh, there was a there were some images coming out of Washington, I think last weekend, where uh, Patriot Front was marching around in their little their little pretty uniforms, and they were waving their flags, and they were all dressed identically, and like that's clearly a conscious choice that they think is going to move their message forward somehow and appeal to people, right? So, you know, there is the kind of like reaction. Uh, I'm hardwired into my phone. I better start streaming this. But there's also the people who say, I mean, like to take you know uh, wh- whatever that fucker's name was who went when he when he shot up a mosque in New Zealand, who decided to live stream it. That was a very conscious choice because he thought it would advance his movement somehow. He was right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. I'm I'm a bit curious about you guys. touched base with with something that I actually wanted to ask a bit earlier. Um, As far as predictions, but also, um, like, the demise of the QAnon conspiracy, I think from the very little information I have, it looks like a demise, a lot of people feel disillusioned, a lot of people feel um, uncared for from Q, why isn't Q posting, was it all a joke? Um, there's even people that apparently think that Trump is still president, <laughs> and, and that everything was a joke within a joke, and like the plan is still on. Um, there's been a lot of discourse surrounding the future of QAnon and sort of like the hopelessness that accompanies it. And I'm very curious as to like from a tactical perspective, it's it seems to be difficult difficult to find coherence in the in the game plan because. <clears throat> Trump's not boss anymore, and Q seems to be uh, ambiguous for a lot of people in, in terms of meaning. Um, what would be the future in terms of tactics? Are we going to look at like paramilitary forces, such as like Patriot Front, Patriot Prayer, um, Proud Boys? Well, Proud Boys are they're a bit fucked, aren't they? But um, uh, you know, sort of like these paramilitary organized factions, factions of organizing or are we looking at a bit more like lone wolves like the nashville bomber or like um kyle rittenhouse and sort of like these uh, sporadic long long wolves seeking to do justice and become heroes on themselves or we can we expect like more mass movements that geared towards the biden administration in one way or another um how do you guys think that um tactically the right will organize itself given what we've been seeing on telegram because honestly like telegram for me it's just been a big joke because apparently one of the channels decided that they want to succeed texas and yeah. they're talking about texit and Th- they do that every four
0: years no matter what <laughs> oh
2: okay okay that's Three years a log cycle
0: yeah that's that's just that's just american that's just sane regular american politics actually um, actually I, I'll put it in these terms because um, Dave is also a big uh, Robert Evans fan Vince uh, so Dave are we going yeah. full um, are we going full it could happen here
1: I, I yeah I mean it could happen here is is such a touch point I mean, the idea that America we were here we were in this exact spot more or less 90 years ago in this country the 1930s America the quote unquote greatest generation which mm-hmm. is a lie which is a piece of propaganda right which is a narrative construct designed to convince you that your elders were right um well, i mean america was going straight toward becoming a fascist dictatorship in mm-hmm. the 1930s um and this we're just we're in that part of the cycle again um if you believe it's cyclical and you know I think that experientially it seems like it might be, um, but I'll say so. You know, in terms of, of looking forward at what is about to happen on the right, this is where um, this is where my own belief get, may may get a little weird and a little uncomfortable for some people, which is that, that again because I believe that propaganda works. works Um, And I also believe that centralized narratives that validate people's needs and uh, occasionally actually address them systemically um, can be used for good. The fact that QAnon is in throes of misery and that your Aunt Sally doesn't know what to do anymore because the Facebook live streams that used to be daily, that made her feel heard, that made her feel like part of a community, uh, were apparently bullshit. Um, Human is now in a moment of searching. And we can address that as people. Like, we can give those people a, a home, a philosophical basis for forward movement. Uh, you could empower those people with, I don't know, some idea of how to actually take economic power back for themselves, some idea of how actually to better their direct community, other than worrying about the laws 3,000 miles away. Right? How to take action in their space that is nonviolent and that helps establish a good, solid community base for the next generation. Put all those crocheting, gun-toting grandmothers to use mentoring teenagers, uh, gives, you know, give them an economic outlet and maybe, just maybe, left and the right in the United States can come to some kind of central agreement that we're all worthy of love and that our lives have some value Uh, made up, though it might be, the experience of that value is real and is necessary. Um, And I think if we don't do that, right, if you don't, if you don't train people in the skills it's going to take to move forward, they're not going to move forward. Another demagogue is eventually going to show up. Those demagogues are going to be smaller, right? Those demagogues are going to be at the state level. Uh, the nazis never disappear because there's always one drunk asshole in a bar the leaflet um who is a semi-charismatic leader who can bring a number of people around him and into the fold because they like getting drunk and going shooting because who doesn't um and oh by the way it's all the jews fault
2: um
1: and if you if you let that happen it's our own damn fault the cycle's just going to keep going I think you have to subvert the cycle by actually addressing people's needs and
0: I, I maybe do wanna, it's okay. I want to warn you propaganda. here, Dave, you're, you're giving a, a very suspiciously anarchistic answer to this about empowering communities and giving people actual meaning and agency over their lives. So uh, if you don't want to lose your reputation for cool detachment, I would watch out there
1: yeah i mean i don't know i just just think that it's okay to actually look at how people operate and how communities work Mm -hmm. and like we have all this information at our disposal we have incredible quantities of data thanks to our participation in facebook and google like those things could be put to positive use we could start trying to love each other a little bit instead of insisting that all Arguments are best served online by comparing someone to Hitler and in real life with the firearm that you should be carrying because you're an American
2: It's a really good point. I, I feel I feel grateful that I'm wearing a operation Mindfuck book uh, t-shirt for this. <laughs> anyway. um. I will say
1: I think you know art and And outreach for all of us as people, I think, is really important. Um, It's got, we have to kind of change the culture of consumption around it. I think we all need to participate more. That doesn't just mean generating content. It means actually meaningfully watching content and consuming not letting our feeds flip by, right? Like I deal with college students on a daily basis. It's shocking to me to watch the way they consume information. It's so fast, uh, right? The world just zooms right by, and I'm not, I'm not, entire, I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that that's healthy. I refuse to be the old guy who poo-poos young children, but um, you know, a little bit of active listening You know a little bit of really trying to pay attention to the needs of the people around us Mm -hmm. well you know would
0: help it's it's uh it's kind of um i mean what you're speaking about here is is just that is alienation right is the is the dissolution of actual community and the commodification of some kind of uh fake community that can be packaged and sold to us. And that's fundamentally what social media is. It's not to say that you can't have real human connections uh, if there's, you know, electrons involved or something. But the models and the structures of communication that are encouraged by the media environment we live in are emotionally empty. Right? And, you know, I mean we can see that even uh more starkly this year when like we literally don't go to the same for very good reason but we literally don't go to the same place as other people anymore everybody is so fucking lonely and anything
1: that i think that's exactly right and we don't go to the same place online either yeah i think the emotionally empty term is really really important there pat because uh it's a literal truth again the content that is being served up to you when you engage with social media is is not served to you from a position of benevolence and it's not served to you uh i'm going to use a marketing term and say organically Mm -hmm. it's driven by an algorithm and the content producers who best understand how to manipulate that algorithm or who just by way of their personality naturally engage the algorithm in a way that it likes are the ones who are going to appear again and again and again in your feed um that that's how echo shapers get built right they get built organically they get built because the algorithm keeps feeding you something uh and notices that you spend just a little bit more time when uh, you know some guy's going on a rant uh and that rant lasts for more than 15 minutes um so it is emotionally empty right the literal engine that serves the content you consume is emotionally empty Um, and it's it's really important for us to change our consumer behavior uh, to a position of understanding from of that
0: So this uh, very much makes me think of uh, a sort of thought experiment from uh, people that study artificial intelligence and talk about that, whatnot. Um, The Elon Musk's of the world, although you know, obviously he's a dick. But um, one of the uh, sort of ideas that gets thrown around there is this idea of like, you know, what what are the problems with a super intelligent artificial intelligence, right? If it, it surpasses human capacity. And the, one of the examples that's put forward is that imagine that you create an artificial intelligence to run your paperclip factory and that it uh, grows to the point where it is you know, smarter than any human possibly could be. And its motivation is still to just make paperclips. Right. This is a scenario where eventually this thing is going to seize all of the resources of human society. Uh, and transform all of the mass of the universe into paperclips because it's doing what it's designed to do exceedingly well, but what it's designed to do doesn't fit any real human needs at a certain point.
1: I'll say, I, I think that that, uh, again, uh, this is going to show some of my, my biases here, but like I, I also think that that's what demagogues are doing. Mm. I think that demagogues are naturally charismatic human beings who have a, the gift of leadership from... Uh, you know from birth and from nurture right whatever you know dad didn't love them seems to be a pretty consistent trend. um you know whatever it was that happened in their youth that made them really good at manipulating people the bullhorn that we've given those people now again is greater than has ever been literally in the history of of media and persuasion right um the, the guy that is Donald Trump, that demagogue, the demagogue that is Hitler. Um, you know, Hitler, 10 years earlier, wouldn't have had the media access that he did, right? Yeah. Wouldn't have had the, the size of the bullhorn that he did. Um, and and it, the, Trump and, and his use of Twitter and his use of audience understanding, his use of television, I think is, is the same thing. That's, that's a guy doing what that guy's gonna do. Um, because by engaging in the in that way it, it serves to validate him it serves to uh, make him feel at ease when he you know when he he is happy when he is lashing out at the perceived enemy and building a community of perceived like-minded individuals well Trump right. is that's literally Trump's a, a dopamine addict just like the rest of us on
0: social media
1: that's right that's exactly Exactly right. Just like the rest of us, he's just better at a bunch of it than us. Um, so he's he's more successful, and so he built it. You know, again, he he stumbled into a community that was rarer to go, and then built it up from there.
0: So, Dave, save us! You said that there are ways that we can alter our usage of social media. Be our be our uh, charismatic guru. Uh, be the, be the anti-Trump. How do we get ourselves out of this trap?
1: Yeah. I, uh... Think it be smaller, right? Don't, it is okay to exist closely with uh, 150 people rather than over consuming globally. Um, I I think, again, we should be, each of us, putting more out into the world. I wish more people produced and um, thought about these tools as artistic tools. uh, trying to be less passive about it, again, I, it, it, it shocks me when I deal with young people, with 18-year-olds who will tell you that their hobby is taking a nap and their favorite show is Friends. <laughs> that, it puzzles my mind. That is grim shit right there, man. But so, to me, like, okay, that's what we gotta fight then. Like, how do I get that kid, that young person, not to be a passive consumer? Instead, to actively engage in making art and in consuming art um and i I will say I personally use a very broad definition of art. My personal definition is any act of communication intended or perceived, um, which is like the broadest definition you can possibly have, but I really just mean we need to be talking to each other and and we also need I think to reframe our understanding of what argument is, Um, the internet broadly, the algorithms that drive it, uh, love yelling arguments. They love accusatory arguments. Mm -hmm. They love arguments that have big emotions behind them because uh, it's very difficult to uh, attach yourself to subtle emotions through a screen and it has no use for conversation. Uh, yeah, absolutely, right? They're all monologues, which like, is funny to me because I sort of consider myself a bit of a monologue artist. Like I like the art of the monologue. Mm-hmm. I would never tell you that that was dialogue. Conversation that my monologues spark are dialogue. Um, so I think we need to reframe the nature of argument and say, well, arguing is a, is a tool for learning and it's okay for you to defend your position in the moment. It's okay to dig your heels in over beers when you're yelling with friends. Uh, It's not okay to walk away assuming that you are right and perfect. Mm -hmm. If you get into a political discussion with people you care about, and you walk away without having your mind at least a little bit changed, you weren't present for that conversation. And you should reevaluate how you engage in argument. Now, I'm really, really personally blessed to be friends with a lot of people who are smarter than me. And I love riling them up. Because <laughs> it's often when you get the most truth out of them. I know this well, Dave. <laughs> but, and, I, but and, and how much, I mean, how much have, again, in the 20 years that we've known each other, Pat, I mean, I think my position has changed a fair amount. Um, and it is it is very much because... I I like, I like growth. Like, I like, Mm -hmm. I like having my worldview shaken. Um, And I may not admit it in the moment because in the moment I'm hot and bothered, right? In the moment I, I, I need action, right? I mean, number of times Pat, you and I have ended up hitting each other. Like, and that's (laughs) fine uh, because that's what discourse is. Then those calm periods after when things have all been said and points have all been laid out on the table, Arguments are for learning. Arguments are for personal growth. Um, they're yeah. they're not a spectator sport. It's not it's not gladiatorial combat. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting that. Yeah. yeah so I th- oh, um, go
2: ahead. Yeah, there's actually a tweet that kind of resonates with what you you guys just said, and I actually thought a bit about this tweet, which um. Um, as far as medium goes, tweets are not the perfect thing to get you thinking, even though everyone tweets as if they're making everyone else think. Um, a lot of the times you don't really think about what you, the, the tweets you're reading a lot. But this one actually got me thinking in a good way, um, which, um, as someone who has had Twitter for 12 years, um, it's, a, it's a rare occasion. But it was something like, along the lines of, um, instead of fe- feeling ashamed when uh, someone presents different information or like corrects you or something, you should, be, you should be grateful because now you know something that you didn't know before. And there's sort of like this culture of shame where like, um, suppose I say X and X is like factually wrong, or I say Y and Y is something that like Patrick has lived, but I have not. And then he just goes, well, actually, um, this is what my experience is and I stand corrected. Um, there's all sort of like this thing like this, this nitty picking of, of Twitter where you have to come out of it um, right otherwise you kind of felt like you've been publicly um, humiliated or like that you've been made a joke out of mm-hmm. um, because it's such a public, even though it's a private website, it feels so public, it feels like the agora, you know um, but when it really comes down to it. And that's something that, like, I really agree with Dave because I've got a really small following on Twitter. I've got, like, 160 people now. You're 10 over his out. limit. You've got to drop 10 of those people. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start blocking people. Um, I, when I used to have my old account, I had over 1,000. And um, there used to be a lot of thought with regards to ratio, like how many people you follow versus how many people follow you. And... Um, I follow, like, 400 people, and I don't even give a shit anymore. I'm just following people whose tweets I think I'll like, and I don't expect any follow-backs. I'm actually quite happy when people don't follow me back because I took a lot of shit on (laughs) Twitter. But um, it's uh, when I've been able to give up the attention, and I spent, like, over, like, a year and a half with a locked account to make sure that the people following me are people who I love and trust and or that I don't mind seeing my tweets. Um, it really reframed social media for me and it made it okay for me to be faulty. And it made it okay for me to interact with people in a way that learning is not a shameful process. Rather, it's um, the beautiful consequences of interacting with other human beings. And if, if, I'm, if I am to be any sort of advocate of community, this is the very least that I owe myself and others And i have nothing to lose but everything to gain because no one's going to remember me for being like humiliated from a tweet argument like like five months back but people will remember me if i'm able to tell them thank you for for showing me your perspective and now i know something new and over the last year this is like open like cracked open my skull to new thoughts and a a bunch of things that I'm very happy that I know of right now, whether I agree with them or not, um, especially in the left, um, all sorts of anarchisms that I would not use to label myself, but I have great respect for, and I understand what they're striving for, and honestly, like, more power to them as whether I I agree with it or not. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to be discussing tactics because who the fuck am I to, like, put that through as, like... I am the guy who knows how anarchism should um, progress tactically. No, I, I feel like um, more power to the people who are p- putting these discussions in the forefront. You know, And this really touches base with the whole um, um, be happy about engaging with content and learning from other people. Because honestly, this is as close as we're gonna get to the cypherpunk uh, dream at this point of integrated communities sharing information We cannot get back to anything resembling that that if we cannot at least accept, um, exchanging information and communicating without shame. Yeah. And ultimately
0: we do not just, is it a necessity, but it's actually a good thing to live in a world with people who are not like us and who disagree with us sometimes on really fundamental things. Right. And this is, you know, I'm not about to go red brown on you here, Vince, but, but, um, but you do need I recognize that there that there is a, a that it comes to a point where there's no longer it's no longer possible to coexist in the same space but I do think that one of the things that we want to strive for is to make the range of what we can uh, not necessarily accept but tolerate as wide as possible um, you know I think uh, this is one of those kind of big differences I suppose if you if you want to get into like the intra-left fights of the the last two centuries or whatever this is one of the things that leads me to feel more cozy on the on the anarchist side of things uh than on the marxist side of things uh marxist statist side of things anyway is a a a recognition that like yeah ultimately people should kind of be able to do what they want and sometimes you won't like it um and being able to being able to deal with that is a learned skill like being able to negotiate a modus vivendi a way of living with somebody who you might find fully disgusting uh that that's important to be able to do that again I'm, I'm not about to tell anybody where the lines are when does somebody step over that line and you no longer want to be a part of whatever social contract with them but we do have to make uh, a, a space for people who are not like us uh and uh um you know, again, that that's a learned skill. We have to get out there and practice that. The only way we can practice that is occasionally paying attention to people who don't already think what we think they should.
2: Fully agreed. Fully agreed.
1: And I think just to, I mean, just sort of bring it back around a little bit, we each have to choose our lines there uh, because uh, again, because if if the line that your cohorts are touting is tomorrow is the day of the rope, and yeah. we are going to, again, th- that the the goal of white nationalism is explicitly stated, and it is to usher in a utopian ethno state through race war, yep. and that. All it takes to spark race war to get the American or to get whatever group of people up in arms is an act of extreme vile violence that likely starts to call the, quote, weak whites out. Um, you know, that kind of content is not only fundamentally flawed, right, as a worldview, as a political philosophy, um, it's also dangerous because it it's a really easy answer to give to angry young people who are searching for meaning and are desperate to take action. Yeah, it has a body count already. And it's big. Yeah, Um, and like and and the the sort of grand sin in the United States, which I will say is interesting to see coming to light a little bit right now, uh, is that the United States government has just fucking ignored this for 50 years. Um, I mean, uh, you know, so I'm, I'll be, I'll be 40 shortly. So like my point of reference for this is the Oklahoma is, is the Oklahoma city bombing yeah, same. In the, where I was 15 when that happened and we were taught and, and told, and our grief was processed through this lone wolf concept, right? Mm-hmm. And it was Tim McVeigh and some other kind of pudgy guy, but the FBI caught him. So it's all good. Uh, that's not true <laughs> Like <laughs> demonstrably. Right. They were part of, of a Nazi cult uh, that literally lived out in the woods in a compound like they had a guru. Some asshole bought them those supplies and taught them where to do it. That, the Oklahoma City bombing is straight out of the Turner Diaries, yes. which is a 70s era piece of propaganda. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's come back in was- a big way
1: oh yeah absolutely. people are reading that uh, now
0: in uh, great much greater numbers than had been for decades
1: because now it's uh, so this the interesting thing about weird pieces of propaganda like that is they become esoteric prizes yeah it becomes a it's a badge of honor for a young person to have found a copy of the turner diaries and read the whole thing cover to color and taken notes right I, my i love this touch point when i read the turner diaries Uh, the copy that i got i downloaded a pdf offline from a russian server like (laughs) this is the 2016 uh, election hack the culture hack Uh, you know they're serving us this kind of content they're storing it for you uh, because it helps subvert it subverts peaceful american values um you know it's a whole other thing but anyway so my (laughs) point is right these esoteric prizes right reading the Christchurch, you know massacre uh manifesto it's legitimacy it's a mark of legitimacy yeah that's right i i put some work into this and what i find fascinating about it and about the way that these esoteric prizes exist in an age age of social media is like they're not real esoteric prizes they're kind of bullshit Back in the day, if you wanted to go find you some Nazi propaganda, uh, you had to work for it. Like, you had to go shake the right hands in the right bar at the right time, you know, and Fat Joe over there had to okay it before you actually got invited to Midnight Mass where you could all drink elk piss from a horn (laughs) or whatever your fucking symbol is. And now, I mean, again, it. I mean, it's on google yeah it may not be on the first page because google wants to pretend that it's not there but you can find that content um, yeah, yeah and that yeah. content is, is really you know content like the turner diaries but i don't know like i personally at least i remember really viscerally being a young man and the first time i, I really got to process emotion through science fiction
0: mm-hmm. it
1: was a big deal mm-hmm. uh, where i saw i felt i felt heard i felt Aspirational. I felt like, oh my God, I have something to, to work for in the future uh, because here's this narrative. And granting that those narratives were dark because we were young, um, you know, this author clearly gets me. And, and that's very much what the Turner Diaries is. Like, we have to remember it is designed to be a piece of pop fiction. Yeah. Uh, is it extremely well written? No. But it's written in seventies era English and that ain't thirties era English and it sure as shit ain't eighteen fifties era English. Right. Like a kid who wants it can absolutely get through it, uh, and it will tell him all about what he needs to do to store his guns properly and uh and design a communications network and what to do when the black people who are going to take over the FBI for their homosexual agenda come to take your guns. Um you know it's it, uh those, those things are there and they're waiting as prizes for young people um you know so the same i uh, sort of assume with uh collecting and curating propaganda right which is like that's a hobby of mine um <laughs> and i guarantee you it's a hobby for young people as well uh, only the only videos. the weirdos dave but that's who i mean the weirdos pull the trigger right right you, yeah you, you know, you have, if you have a need strong enough that is not being met by society that you are willing to learn to make a pipe bomb, as much as I hate to call you a brother, well, guess what? We're both bearded weirdos. I guarantee it.
0: Yeah. No, you're, you're 100% right about that. There is a certain, there's a, a, a set of wiring that has to be there to turn anybody into like the the average person this is this is actually in some ways the classic problem of leftists the average person just wants to grill right they don't give a shit about any of this they might understand that their life kind of sucks right but they're not really they don't want to go to a reading group they don't want to read your as you said you know like if i hand somebody kropotkin they're going to take one look at the bearded weirdo on the front and throw the book at me right so the people that are really going to get into that, this is a, I don't wanna play like a two sides of the same coin thing here, but the a lot of the same uh, psychological structures or ways of thinking, Uh, a dissatisfaction with the way the world works and a willingness to look for unorthodox answers. Those exist, uh, you know, not to horseshoe horseshoe theory yet, but they do exist on both the left and the right. And again, I'm obviously coming from the point of view who says, well, I'm right and they're wrong. Otherwise, I'd change my mind. So for me, it's a tactical question of like, how do I get to the the people that are going to take this stuff seriously before the ones that want them uh, to kill brown people? Um, but I also think that from a, wa- a wider perspective in society, uh, that's probably a preferable outcome anyway. Even if you think that I'm politically misguided, we probably would rather people go to like Trotsky reading groups than that they go out in the woods with the militia uh, and learn small unit tactics.
1: Right, and and I think you can it'll you be a little bit more milk toast than that, right? I would really love it if, you know, the average Atomwaffen Division kid would take up flying RC cars, right? Like, mm. just, kid needs his hobbies subverted. Um, but he's not gonna do it on his, o- on his own, and the, the charismatic leaders that are telling him it's all the Jews' fault aren't gonna do it for him, which means, effectively, it's on us as the rest of society. To produce enough content to have enough conversations, uh, that that maybe that kid's indoctrination gets subverted, if empowerment along, in a different community. Yeah. Again, no matter what dumb. Uh, like I know I made fun of crocheting on Etsy earlier, but like, and if if making doilies and selling them for five bucks is what keeps you out of a violent extremist group, fucking do it. Which. I understand it sounds like I'm being flipped when I say that but I'm actually quite serious like Mm -hmm. take a weird hobby if it helps you get out of a violent extremist space.
0: Of course that's true and I agree with you but also we have the problem of weird hobbies being infected by violent extremism right so there's a sort of classic like online problem of anytime somebody starts up, I mean, 4chan was a fucking anime web, web board, right? Uh, you know, furries are famously infected by Nazis. Like any kind of weird niche audience online is going to have this, uh, this kind of, uh, uh, because they're people that are monomaniacs, potentially. You know?
1: I think that that is, that's also the perfect place where if, if we were able to have a broader conversation and a broader understanding as a society, about the fact that violent extremism is rooted in identity and that if you can see your identity as something other than the persecuted, um, that those spaces, right? Maybe if people understood that their outreach, that their participation in a community could have real lasting effect. And maybe if we didn't think of argument as a one-sided shouting match, maybe, those furries who were sitting there watching that kid go down the violent extremist rabbit hole, right? Well, you know, watching him start to find scapegoats, starting to really think that uh, it's the Hispanics fault that he can't get a job. Uh, you know, maybe if those other community members were felt more empowered to speak up, to defend their community, uh, it would actually have a better time of things, right? Mm-hmm. We wouldn't end up with these pocket communities of racists, of misogynists um, in such odd little subgroups. If those subgroups were just willing to protect themselves a little bit more and to have open conversations more. Because those communities are the exact kind of thing that can disrupt a violent extremist indoctrination funnel. Well, because they offer, they offer real community,
0: which is ultimately what a lot of these people are looking for. There's the potential to make real connections. Even if they are online, right? these kinds of uh, communities that are formed around shared interests, that is, that is a potentially real group of friends. Um, and that, can, that itself can diffuse the move towards uh, deeper and deeper extremism.
1: It just takes a willingness to, you know, next time you have a friend who, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, blames it on the Jews, maybe, maybe question that. You don't gotta <laughs> jump down that rope. You don't gotta get into a fight with them about it. Yeah. Just just push them on it a little bit. You know, man, why do you, why do you think that? What, what, what evidence do you have that, 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 that there really is a, a cabal of lizard people fighting a cabal of underground insect people uh, for the Earth's copper resources. Like, yeah, why? Yeah. why? Why did you get there? One
0: of the most powerful questions you can ask anybody is, how do you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, um, Vince, do you have anything you want to jump in here?
2: Um, yes, but it goes wildly out of um, topic. Um, it's about the Telegram. Um, with the whole migration towards Telegram, people are very much under the, the illusion that Telegram is safe. But at the same time, telegram organizes in a very different way of than what we think about social media um so what would you consider to be like the stock differences between like say Twitter, Parler and telegram and also the security problems that comes with it Sure. Uh,
1: i mean it it ha- i mean the differences experientially are in setup right and and I'll say that. Uh, fully admitting that I am old enough to have a hard time consuming content on a lot of different social networks. I actually, I still don't get Twitter. Um, I just something about the way information flows in that space doesn't click with my brain. And and I suspect that that's going to be true for Telegram in the long run as well. Um, it doesn't, doesn't feel like a great community space to me um, if from a, from a pure consumption standpoint um it's it's really so so telegram's own published number is that it got a hundred million new accounts in january which is staggering
0: that's ridiculous
1: i like i it's funny because when i started i i knew we were going to come on this and look for uh, uh, and talk about telegram a bit i started looking for the number the biggest number I could find published by another source was 25 million. Uh, and that was halfway through January, before Parlor even was really shut. Um, and then when Telegram came out and said 100 million new, I mean, that is, I mean, again, just a shocking number of humans who attempted to migrate into that space. I mean, that's almost a
0: third of the population of the United States.
1: Right. At which I would love to actually see the I would love to see the the, the global breakdown of that. Yeah, and I have that's
0: to I have to imagine that a lot of this are just like looky loos and bots, right? So the, how many of these are actually going to be active users? But still even if it's, you know, ten percent, that's an enormous number.
1: That's exactly right. Um, and it's all and so they're going so so Telegram's going to go through a a period of time of flailing, right? I'll say to my own personal experience on telegram like that's really what it feels like it's doing right now it's very pitchy it's very sales oriented it's very uh, man look how much content i can scream out in any given day um you know i mean it's it's every 10 minutes there's a new post about some new bullshit n- news article that's fake um yeah just trying to g- get you to engage um and it will be interesting to see how many people stick with that engagement, right? Um, I think that the answer probably won't be very many. Um, Telegram is is, is different um, in that it is uh, encrypted, so they cannot give information to authorities, theoretically. Um, I'll say it's interesting to me uh, to take a bit of full business context of Telegram, um, into account, which is that six months ago, uh, the Russian government dropped its uh, movement toward banning Telegram. Um, It had been trying to formally disband Telegram as an app. It's been blacklisted there for a while, but you could still get it. You could still engage with it because Telegram is, is a Russian app, right? It was designed for subversive Russian politics to, it's encrypted to protect their identities which the Russian government did not like. Um, and so they were they were persecuted for a while. Six months ago, that persecution kind of stopped. Um, and in December, Telegram announced its plan for monetization. I'm a big believer that the social networks that survive and thrive are almost always the ones that monetize first and fastest. Um, I believe that's why Facebook is the company that it is. I really just think they got monetization right earlier than anybody else, Mm -hmm. Um, which is that they gave small business people and assholes like me uh, tools to spend money. Um, And so we did, right? We spent a ton of money on Facebook advertising and I've been doing it ever since. Uh, And it puts an okay meal on my kids table. so, Telegram is going to be adding both ads, which support Telegram, the company, um, and like, like super stickers, um, you know, badges that you can purchase as an audience member and donate to your favorite content provider. So, that monetizes things for content providers. It allows humans to make a living spouting something engaging. And the the ones that thrive in that environment will be the ones who are naturally good community builders, effectively demagogues. Um, all, all of that came out last month, and then this month we have a hundred million new telegram users. It's an interesting escalation of the beast. Yeah, that sounds
0: um, potentially very Yeah, that sounds potentially extraordinarily dangerous because it's gonna you're gonna create this natural selection process to push the people who are able to energize and uh, piss off a large enough audience right up to the top of that. And not only that, you're gonna make them rich in the po- process. So we're gonna see, you know, like, That's take exactly right. take a guy like Alex Jones, right? Alex Jones is theoretically deplatformed all over the place, but we can't get rid of this motherfucker because he's got tens of millions of dollars in the bank and he can, he can buy his way into media coverage.
1: That's exactly right, right. A- Alex Jones's website was down for what? Less than a month? someone gave that guy server space somewhere because he could pay for it, to your point. Um, and, he, and he probably wasn't an asshole about it behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty funny history of violent extremist groups having a hard time finding hosting because they also tend to be assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's literally why Stormfront is only on the dark web. Uh, because they just didn't have the business acumen to keep it on the, on the front. Uh, but alex jones i think is, is is a really good example pat of again that that guy basically organically rose right he figured out how to monetize on a big personality early on yeah right started selling vitamin supplements started just selling little things um and has built it into an empire that thrives off of things like Sandy Hook denial, uh, you know, right. denying that children were murdered an hour's drive from where I live, which is is very weird, very weird place to be as people. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, we are more apt to believe that terrorist attacks are all red flags and that the CIA is dumb enough to reuse con- crisis actors over and over and over again. Um, but at the same time, that... Also, many Americans totally reject that, but will readily believe that Putin came to power because he engaged a false flag and bombed five apartment buildings, murdering a bunch of Russian citizens. we Will readily accept that it happens overseas. And it's more difficult for us to accept that it happens here, unless you're a lizard person drinking conspiracy theories well i mean i think that
0: what we what we're seeing there is is that people aren't believing these things because they're convinced of them they're believing them because they let this person think what they already thought right which is that uh you know somebody needs to kill barack obama or whatever the case may be right they give them a license to hate the people they already hate and you know we can kind of see that when like people will pass right over the out in the open, admitted documented conspiracies in American history uh, and pick up the really weird ones that target the people they dislike. You know, none of these people that are really into the Alex Jones like way out there conspiracies, none of these people, if you started talking to them about COINTELPRO or something, they would would not give a shit, right? Because, uh, you know, in their heart of hearts, they're kind of glad that the FBI killed all those black civil rights leaders
1: absolutely which is yeah. why I don't get why they don't celebrate it more like you should be more pro-government man. they hate the blacks too kidding
0: <laughs> well kinda uh, <laughs> I mean uh, yeah that's well you know you're pro-government when it's your guys right uh, and that's you know that's one thing I think is a, a, a real problem in the United States which is that the the, the liberal Democratic Party, doesn't understand the way that the that the republicans and the hard right do what political power is and how to use it right they think of it as they they take all the bullshit about like the founding fathers and the ideals of America seriously. Whereas the right recognizes that when you have political power, the last thing you want to do is compromise and talk to your opposition. You want to use that political power to make sure that the next election cycle you have political power and to maximize that political power and eventually lead to a point where you get your way, no matter how horrific or harmful that is, right? And we're kind of living through that nightmare right now where we watch Joe Biden try to compromise with people who basically like would have been happy to see him hanged on january 6th but they're gonna do it because they've they've drunk that that kool-aid that's the indoctrination that they've gone they've undergone right which is that like america is good therefore what america does is good uh and if america storms the capitol building well that's you know it's just uh hey we're rambunctious we've got that rebel spirit and like let's look at the good side of this and the uh, Let's find some kind of compromise position with those folks. And ultimately, it's going to get us all killed.
1: My hope is that it only gets uh, like 30 or 40% of us killed. But I've got kids, so I have to believe that to sleep at night.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, I love that we've managed to come back around to the the grimmest possible interpretation, which is I can't speak for Vince, but that's where I always like to leave things. Vince, what do you say? Terrible, uh, terrible future, all doomed?
2: I mean, it—it's your future, right? <laughs> we have the no, nuclear
1: weapons to make it everybody's future.
2: Yeah, I try not to think a lot about that, but yes, um, I've—I of course, I kid. Um, it is kind of bizarre. I think that part, something I ha- i shamefully admit—is that keeping up with U.S. politics, um, as much um, as much as I can rationale as if like well it is my business in some degree um it's also a hobby because it is so surreal it's the um, ultimate uh, reality tv show it is it is it is bizarre it feels like a tv show it feels like a spectacle it has been funny at moments it there were moments where i will shamefully admit that it has been funny for me and probably despairing for you um oh
0: i don't know i'm i'm willing to i certainly was laughing and i'm willing to bet that dave was laughing at least ruefully when we were watching the uh footage from the Capitol, anyway
2: yeah no that was hilarious i'm not gonna lie like a lot there's been a lot of discourse on twitter and like oh, why are you, why are, like, Latinos laughing and making memes out of this? Like, a bunch of people are going to suffer if these people have their way Well, my empathy lies with my minorities, of course, which always are going to get the lower end and the worst of any right-wing insurrection. Mm -hmm. However, given the recent history of Latin America as a whole, um we do have the the joke where w- what's the only place where you can't get a us coupe? the us because they don't have a us embassy <laughs> now look at the irony here um so we did have a bit of, uh, just just a few kicks we can afford to to joke about this for a day or two. Hell yeah um before it all circles circles back and um, bites us in the ass um i don't know i think that at this point it is sort of like almost a social experiment like curiosity to a level where like i'm just trying to check up on my friends and make sure that they're doing as well as they can yeah and it is a bit um bizarre from an outsider perspective to see that every time that i took talk to americans even with biden in in presidency everyone just seems to get um more and more and more pessimistic you know
1: hmm
2: gonna be okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Dave. You, you brought us back. All right, so let me finish really off with, really this.
0: <laughs> well let me let me finish off with this question, Dave, because you dodged it at the beginning and I'm not letting you off so so easy. Uh, deplatforming good or deplatforming bad?
1: Uh, if I have to make a binary choice, I'm gonna say deplatforming good because it removes ergonomic efficiency from access to to, to violent extremist charismatic leadership. Jam the, jam the communications. Yeah, that, that's right. And that, that really is helpful in the short term. My, my problem with discussions of censorship and deplatforming is, because it's such a big action, it feels like we did something. Hooray, we won! Um, and it's not uh, the the example that i will throw out to people is it has been illegal to espouse a white nationalist politic in germany for 80 something years um that didn't stop white nationalism in germany no. and last summer the first shots were fired last summer nazis in Germany's assassinated a politician for the first time since world war ii Mm-hmm. Um, and so, while censorship is helpful and prevents your mom from becoming a QAnon freak, it does not actually remove uh, needs that violent extremist communities meet for people who are in a vulnerable position. Whether they are economically disenfranchised, whether they are, uh, you know, they feel disempowered in their community or whether they have a a very real personal grievance, like a cop shot my brother, which is, you know, a thing that a great many Americans can claim and is a a primary driver for the identity of violence. Um, I am personally aggrieved and therefore must seek vengeance. All right, well, you
0: heard it here. We're gonna shut down the internet. It's for your own good. Uh, So, you know, Tweet your last tweets and uh, I don't know what do you do yeah, on Snapchat. Me and Ma said. Say say that again, Vince.
2: That's what ne- me and Moss said. We're showing the internet for your own good. So going on here. <laughs> We're See all po- video.
0: We're all Pol Pot now, so that's uh, that's something. All right. Yeah,
2: you guys seen the video of like a, a girl like just just like just for for kicks so so we don't end in such a dismal note. Yeah, There's yeah. A video going on a girl like doing like an aerobic exercise video and she's completely oblivious to the fact that she's she's facing a huge avenue behind her and behind her like there's the cars going into parliament to execute the coup and she's like her back is facing the cars and so so she's just like dancing for the camera and you can see the cars rolling into to to coop (laughs) Myanmar. ladies and gentlemen the internet
0: (laughs) fucking hilarious I, I, I heard of that. I'm going to have to go take a look at it after this. Um, well, uh, any last words from either of you guys?
1: Good to each Dave. other. Propaganda works and sucks, but it's okay. We're mammals. As long as we understand it, we can manipulate ourselves for good. We can grow. We can love. We can build safe interesting, pleasantly uncomfortable community spaces to be in, to be well in, to raise families in, to raise dogs in, to learn and to make something worthwhile. Life is mercifully short. Go blaming other people for the bullshit. Yeah, a lot of people got dealt a really bad hand. Maybe we should try to help those people if we have the opportunity to do so. I understand it's like an asshole privilege thing to say, but what else am I going to do?
2: Vince? No, I think that was a pretty good note. I don't think that anything I would say would sound any more positive. And to be quite honest, I would rather my um, yeah, my last thoughts are actually these thoughts so the listeners can like go to sleep. At ease.
0: Okay. Well, uh, th- that's right. Thank, let me get real close to the mic here. Thanks for coming along with us on this journey tonight. Kill your computer.
2: <laughs> and hug your, your 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 neighbor. Kill your computer and hug your neighbor.
0: All right, well that's going on the t-shirt. You can buy it there along with our, our branded dick pills. We're taking the Alice Jones model and we're running with it. We'll catch you all uh, on the flip side or the next podcast episode. The t-shirt's still
2: going to be actually don't on Etsy. Are
0: you kidding me? Nope. All right, well, I'm going I got to go guys. I got to go buy a t-shirt. Thanks for listening.